Celtic View podcast is back for the new season, and as well as interviews with the current first team players and lots of Celtic chat and analysis, we'll be catching up with some ex-Celts and also featuring other people within the club, finding out more about them as they reveal some of their favourite Celtic moments. Here's the first of these interviews with Celtic FC Foundation Chief Executive, Tony Hamilton. Hello and welcome to the latest Celtic View podcast. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Celtic FC Foundation Chief Executive Tony Hamilton. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Now, I've asked you to choose some of your magic moments over the years that you've been here at Celtic. And we're going to go through them shortly. But you've been at the foundation now for five years. Some tremendous successes, but I suppose it's an ongoing project you know the more successful you are it just raises the benchmark for what you have to do going forward yeah I, I think it's a bit like football in many ways that you have a success and then I start worrying about about delivering the next one and I think that's just the nature of you know any kind of business you know whether the output is, is charitable or it's commercial it's the same thing you're always under that wee bit of pressure just to you know, improve in previous performances and, and, and try and, and do better and engage more people and have a bigger impact and that sort of thing. So uh, it's never really anything that you're going to sit back and relax and think that was that was great and we did a great job there. It's th- that, you know, that sort of never features in it. And I suppose, it, you know, as the profile has get you know, bigger over the last few years, and I think fans are more aware of, of what the foundation do. And it's something, when any time you're speaking to supporters, they're, they're very proud of all the work that's done, a lot of it unseen and you know unheralded, but there's so much work done in Celtic's name. I think they should be very proud of themselves, and I, I think that uh, I, I, you know I've said this many times. I've spoke at a lot of events, and I think that the Celtic support as a a group, as an entity, probably don't get the credit that they deserve. They've got a really strong social conscience. I think things that that bother. Uh, you and I bother, you know, other Celtic supporters, and it's not just something that it bothers them and they're going to let it go. A lot of our supporters are getting engaged and they're trying to help and they're trying to alleviate poverty and they're trying to make life better for people. And I'm I'm not sure that they always get the credit that they deserve for that. No, I've put you on the spot. Obviously, just ask you to choose five magic moments and, and when we say moments it could be goals, games or players which is always difficult now the first of those that you've chosen is the, that wonderful goal Tom Rogic versus Aberdeen the Scottish Cup final 2017 Rogic into the box it's still Rogic it's a chance for Rogic he scored! Goal! Tom Rogic is the treble for Celtic! Took it down the right challenge, right down the wing. Took it on his right foot. And as the keeper came out, just there they passed him into the net. A great ending. Now, for people who follow you on social media, they will not be surprised because you, Tom Rogic, is right up there as one of your favourite players. Uh, You know, I never picked Tom Rogic because I am moderately obsessed by him. I I picked it because it, it just finished off what was an incredible season for us everything was magical around that season and that was the final moment of it and it was in the middle of a tremendous week for us we had just had the hydro event which was a once in a lifetime i was actually sitting at the game 
uh, with Henrik Larsson because the next day we had Henrik Larsson versus Lubo's Legends and I'd asked Henrik to come to the game as our guest and I'd said to Lubo, do you want to come to the game? And he said, can you get me and my mates around a golf at Dalmahoy? <laughs> so he went to the golf and Henrik and I went to Hamden and to see Tom Rogic score that goal at the death uh, and then we went on, we had the game the next day, we had 60,000 people here for that. We sold out the Grosvenor uh, in the West End of London in Mayfair a few days later. We had 1,330-odd people at that. And it was just a magical season in terms of football, foundation, everything from start to finish. It just really belonged to us and it was incredible. And I was delighted that Tom Rogic had scored and such a wonderful goal at such a crucial time in the game. And you and I have, have worked here at Celtic for a lot of years, but you know that way you never you never ever take it for granted. And you know, there's moments obviously you're there seeing that invincible season clinched, but the fact that you're sitting next to one of the greatest players that we'll ever see wearing a Celtic jersey is a is a part of you thinking you're glancing and you see him and you think this is just the strangest thing ever. It was really surreal actually, just uh, and I had been back and forward to Sweden a couple of times in the build up to the game and uh, you know what it's like here because you've worked with players for a long time the relationship that you have with players when they're playing and the relationship that you have with players when they've stopped playing a lot of the time is very very different so a lot of these guys are concentrating on their game when they're playing they see you and I as media as we both were at the time as a, a, a bit of an interference and a hindrance and you know the you kind of make them lose their concentration a wee bit and then people like Henrik and people who I never really had a great relationship with when they were here I'm really really close to now and a great example of that is Pierre Van Hoydonk him and I really clashed I, I did the hotline when I first came in here in the mid 1990s it was a premium rate number and I used to interview Tommy Burns uh, every day effectively and put this content on the hotline and I would interview Fergus periodically, and I said to Fergus, what's happening with Pierre Van Hoydonk's contract? Is it getting renewed? So he answered the question, we're working on it, usual platitudes. A couple of days later, I went and said to Pierre, will you do a piece for me? And he went, I won't speak to you. I heard you speaking to Mr McCann about me. You and I are finished. So I thought, well, fine, that's okay. And then years later... We, you know, we've got a great relationship, a great working relationship and a great personal relationship. And I think when players leave here, they, they're really keen to get back and get involved in some way because there's no other club like this. Now, your second moment is from the, the double treble season, a magical moment, and it's Odson Edwards' goal to win 3-2 at Ibrooks. Doherty knocks it through to Morelles and Tierney gets a foot in, spins up towards the halfway lane. Scott Brown, it's knocked inside, suddenly Celtic on the attack over the halfway lane. The belly takes a touch, plays it to Watson Edwards, edge of the box, Celtic into the area, still Edwards, plays it low, oh what a goal, a super sub, absolutely brilliant, Brendan Rodgers sprints down the 
touchline. What a wonder goal! And Celtic, the 10 men of Celtic, have taken the lead. What a goal that was. I was just saying that two minutes ago, you know, he can turn himself into a Celtic legend by scoring here. And what a goal that is. He knew exactly what he was doing. He waited his time. It was a great ball for Dembele, put him in. He waited his time, waited his time, and he just cuts in his right foot and straight in the postage stamp. We are right behind it. The goalkeeper had absolutely no chance. What a finish. Ten men that day, you know, I'm doing the commentary for Celtic TV, so I'm sitting in the main stand. You're also in the main stand, and we're slightly outnumbered. What, what's that like when you're watching a game like that that was so dramatic and to win in those circumstances? I, I, I was sitting in the director's box with the, with the Celtic directors, and y you try and have a bit of composure. It's difficult to maintain it at that, but, you know, you give it a good go. Uh, it, it's just, I picked this goal... I think the fact that it was Rangers at Ibrox was, was genuinely an aside. I thought it was a real thing of beauty, the goal. And I thought he took the two defenders for about 15 or 20 yards. He took them in a path that they thought he was going in, that he knew he was never going in. And it was a really, really difficult finish. And he made it look exceptionally easy. And to be down to 10 men, for him to come off the bench, for us to have went behind twice in the game... Uh, you know, I think it was just a real, a real special moment. And I've been here nearly 25 years and uh, that's two moments that have come in the last year. And that just, you know, shows you how we've raised everything here at Celtic in the past in the past couple of years. I mean, you say it's difficult sometimes when you're watching games and, and you know, particularly big games and, and there's great goals or dramatic goals that you have to kind of keep a measure of composure because you you don't want to be the guy that's jumping about in the director's box celebrating. No, I think it would only happen the once, to be honest. I don't think you would get away with that behaviour again. So you need to, you know, you need to play the game. And there's always part of me that thinks, I'll look over to it. As soon as we score a goal at, you know, places like Tynecastle or Aberdeen or Ibrox, I always look to the Celtic fans. That's the that's where my eyes drawn first. It's never to the goal scorer. It's it's to how the Celtic fans are reacting to that. And uh, it's different when you're when you're not in that environment. Your obviously your behaviour changes. And I suppose that's the beauty of of football and Celtic that you know when you're asked to pick magic moments, it could be the most recent moment that you've seen because it's always it's always renewed every season. There's always something memorable that will stick with you forever and that's you know that'll, that'll never change I mean when I was asked to do this when you asked me to do this uh, I took two minutes to pick five because I could easily have spent days like you or anybody else who's been at the club a long time could have done uh, but there are so many moments but I think um, Odson Edwards goal and Tom Rogic's goal were just special times and they uh, they encapsulate the change that we've came through in the in the past couple of years. They sum up this Brendan Rodgers revolution for me. Now your third magic moment. We go back a few years, and it was a, a, another magical season under Martin O'Neill. Semi final, Celtic versus Boa Vista. Henrik Larsson, the goal that puts us in the UEFA Cup final. Melby to Sutton. That's a good layoff. Larson with the reverse pass for Hartson. Henrik Larson again! Larson has scored! And is that the goal which takes Celtic to the UEFA Cup final?
it's Larson's 40th goal of the season. It's 2-1 Celtic overall. You are there. What was that like at that moment when the ball hit the back of the net? I, I was commentating at the time. I had did away games for a, a number of years, 12 or maybe longer years, and uh, I'd been doing it probably for two or three years by that point. And the, it, it wasn't just the goal against Boa Vista, it was what the goal meant. It was going to a European final in my lifetime. Uh, I had missed Lisbon by, you know, 15 days. I was too young to remember Milan in 1970. And the fact that we were going to a European final and then what that meant for us, we had been doing a lot of live games that season. I'd producing and presenting a lot of live television on pay-per-view, Celtic TV, but on the Satanta platform. And I knew that we could do something different by going to Seville and we had a two-hour live special from the team hotel two nights before. And, uh, you know, Henrik's goal... That facilitated that. It facilitated 80,000 supporters going to Seville. And we never look back in the highlights of the game. We never look fondly on the actual match itself. But the the whole experience, you know, being in Lithuania at the start of the season and getting knocked out. I think we were there by default. We'd played Baal or, or Basel and we'd lost and we ended up in the... In, in the UEFA Cup and uh, being at every round and just the bizarre things that happened along the way. I think you and I and a few others here wrote a book about the, the season. Probably a low point in my career, actually. <laughs> but uh, but it was just great, you know, Bonnie Tyler and Stuttgart. Just crazy things and just Henrik goal. I think it was relief. I think I was commentating the most famous commentaries Peter Martins for Radio Clyde but it's not a competition for me I was just happy to be there and happy to bring that to the Celtic supporters who you know who couldn't get there and uh, it's an experience that will live with me forever Because that season the the game in Switzerland against Basel the away leg that was the very first game that I commentated for Celtic TV because you'd picked up a pre-season injury and, and were unable to travel I think it was slightly more than a pre-season injury Paul I was in plaster for 12 weeks but uh, uh, but that was I'd stayed here that night uh, and you went away and done that and the disappointment I don't think any has realised what that disappointment clearly ultimately ended in further disappointment but the journey I think was uh, really really special and I was part of a wee working group here as well I think Ian McLeod was the chief executive at the club at the time and I was part of a wee working group that was planning to take the whole staff to Seville as well which was really really special for everybody now, Henrik, obviously, he was the, the hero for seven years. He still comes back for charity games. He's coming back again this year for the, the charity game, a match for cancer, still in Petrov's team against James Milner's team. He's still a big draw, and, and to have someone like that for, for a big game for you know the foundation, hopefully fellow out Celtic Park, it's always a great thing. As you say, players go, but they always want to come back. I think you know Henrik's been a real star, and I can name probably a hundred players that have been uh, really uh, that have really bought in at home it's probably Tom Boyd and, and Tosh McKinley uh, Stillian's been fantastic and to have Henrik back here uh, for this match it's important to Stillian it's important to us it affects families cancer we know that we know it affects one two people uh, according to the research now 
So the game's on sale now, and hopefully we can we can get uh, we can get the crowd that we need and and make that a real success. And James Milner has been great as well because he's still at the top of his game. He's still playing. He, he played in a, a European final a few weeks ago as well, and uh, I think to have that kind of support coming here uh, is a uh, real testimony to what this this football club means to people. Now your fourth magic moment, and it's for me is one of the most, if not the most important title win in our history, 1998, beating St Johnson 2-0 to stop the 10. Boyd's looking for a possible pass, waiting for the McNamara run, it's a good pass. In for Harold Bradback! He's done it! Harold Bradback scores the goal, which may well give Celtic the title. How nervous were you on the day of that game? I was really, really nervous because six days before I, had, I was working for the Celtic View. This is pre-internet days. I was doing the hotline and the Celtic View uh, at Dunfermline and I'd went through there and uh, I remember coming back in the car. I was driving my young brother, John Paul Taylor, and everybody was fighting in the car on the way back. Just nerves, just people really, really disappointed. Craig Falkenbridge uh, scored a goal from... I think he was at the lights at Bayliston at the time. It was miles and miles away. Was it Johnny Gould? It was Ingalls. I think so, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking we might not go over the line here, but it was a beautiful day and people talk about Henrik's goal and we've edited it in slow motion and we've added in different camera angles, but Harold's goal for me just took everything away at that point. I knew we were, we were done, we were over the line by that point and it was just that like you know all of these five moments is something that I'll never ever forget and I suppose you know that way you remember and it's a wonderful moment and, and there's just sometimes you think you can't imagine what life would have been like if, if we hadn't won the league that season it would have been literally unbearable you know we look back now at the times throughout the fact that Rangers had won nine consecutively a few of them they won by a distance a few of them they sort of fell over the line and we, I remember we kind, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot in one of those Tommy Burns years. I think we never, we'd lost one game or but we drew 11 times. I remember Rangers losing and us drawing and that seemed to be the norm. Uh, but it's unimaginable. It's like, it's just no anything that I would want to contemplate. That Our record, because it is our record, we were the first team and it's when people remember the first we were the first team to win nine consecutive league championships. Uh, and it would have been uh, would have been devastating, actually, if we'd if we had lost that record. Yeah, and as you say, I think it's possibly the most important title that we've, we've ever won for that for that reason. I think, uh, you know, as a supporter, probably being at Love Street in the, in the 3rd of May 1986 uh, stands out for me. Uh, but as a supporter who works here, I would agree with you that uh, it was just it was just really, really, really special. No, when I was asking about the magic moments, and obviously it was games, goals, or players. So the fifth magic moment, as well as is a player, he'll always be known as King Kenny to us. This Dundee defender refusing to buckle, kneels up, a chance. Douglas has got it. 
just when all seemed lost, Dalglish has got an important goal for Celtic. When that one came over, McNeil nodded it through. Dalglish was on the spot to drive it past the unguarded Allen. You know, I think sometimes people forget he spent 10 years with us, but I, I'm just an incredible, incredible footballer. I think my love for Celtic uh, goes back to Kenny Dalglish. Uh, my brother Michael uh, brought me here in 1975 to see Celtic for the first time. I was eight. Uh, Michael was probably 15 or 16 at the time and I fell in love with Kenny Dalglish. And uh, like you and other people of our age, I was devastated in August 1977 as a 10-year-old when he went to Liverpool. And I remember... Uh, my only childhood Christmas that I remember was Christmas 1977. My my mother and father had bought me a Liverpool strip, all red, red top, red uh, shorts, red socks for my Christmas. And my mother had made, she was always making clothes for us, right? Which is why people still laugh at me 40 years later cutting her hair and making clothes, but she, she made a, a yellow seven uh, and stitched it onto the back of the jersey. And it was the happiest time of my <laughs> life. And I was kind of torn then. I've got a 10-year-old now, and I mean, he's a season book holder here, and he, you know, and he, he loves Celtic, but he tends to support the team that's winning. And I was kind of torn at the time, I remember questioning, am I still a Celtic supporter or am I a Liverpool supporter now? But... Uh, but Kenny Dalglish was the introduction and then I got to know him through a, 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 a number of years and I, I, I just love Kenny, I just I love him. I know it didn't work out when he came as director of football and then he was temporary manager but I just love him. And you know obviously he spent 10 great years with us but what he did throughout his football career and you know particularly for the city of Liverpool you know particularly after Hillsborough, it, it, it kind of speaks volumes for the type of person he is. You know, it's why they've named a stand after him, why he's a hero there, why he's, he's been knighted. He's just, he's done some extraordinary things away from the pitch. And he's a really humble guy. He, the, there's never any ambiguity with, uh, with Kenny. You would never leave a meeting with him and say, I wonder what he meant there. He, he tells you what he thinks. He's quite direct and honest uh, He's not a complicated guy, uh, but you're right. The stuff that he did, particularly ar around uh, Hillsborough in 1989 when 96 people died, uh, the way that he conducted himself, the way that he had the players conducting themselves and the board, uh, just is a real credit to how you know to his values and how he was brought up. And I suppose you know him and his wife have done you know some remarkable things for charity, raised millions, millions of pounds. Over the years, over the years as well, and he's still doing it. You know, uh, I helped him with a, a photographer for a, a golf event, and I love when he phones me because he calls me Anthony, and and no sarcastically like a lot of people do, uh, and he still and again a lot of this stuff that he does, the charity stuff, he doesn't make a big deal about it. It's a lot of it's very much under the radar, and he, that's just how he's that's just how he lives his life. You know some great magic moments there we said at the top of the the podcast obviously the, the work of the foundation is ongoing we, we touched on the the charity game Sterling Petrov's team against James Milner's team anything else in the pipeline or is it just one of these things that, as you say it's just you're constantly 
you know, helping people, looking to raise money, you know, working different projects. Yeah, we've got a series uh, of events in terms of how we bring money in, but what we're trying to concentrate on now is outcomes. It's how we invest that money. It's the projects that we deliver. So that that's a big focus for us internationally. That looks like a partnership at the moment with Mary's Meals. We've just built 47 kitchens in Malawi. We're going to build uh, another 20 in Zambia uh, in the next six to nine months. And at home, we're involved in a series of project delivery, a lot of employability there, a lot of keeping young people, young men particularly, out of jail and try to put them into employment, uh, and a lot of social inclusion stuff through autism and Down syndrome. So uh, I think we can raise the profile around what we do in terms of income generation but the most important aspect for me uh, is is what we do with that money and make sure that we spend it wisely and that we're investing it in the right areas and that we're genuinely uh, trying to make a difference to people's lives people who have asked for a bit of help and as i said before i think the work of the foundation is something that supporters are, are very very proud of thanks tony for joining us on this celtic view podcast thanks paul